the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 197, recorded Friday, May 29th, 2015. Our benevolent dictator. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us this week is Mr. Paul Zeely. Paul is from AMX Harmon. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Doing well. Also with us is Tom Stimson. Tom is from, well, the Stimson Group. How are you, sir? Doing great. Uh, also with us is Mr. Jeremy Caldera. Jeremy is from ZDI, just north of me in beautiful Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Uh, and last but not least, the left-hand side of my brain, Mr. George Tucker. How are you, sir? It's a distinct advantage that I am left-handed, then. <laughs> Jeez, never mind. Uh, before we get started, um, <laughs> and uh, I actually had, I think I had both of you guys scheduled before this happened, but congratulations to Mr. Caldera and to Mr. Zeely uh, for winning uh, your, your own individual uh, Infocom Awards. Jeremy got the, the Young AV Professional uh, because he's probably the youngest guy on this call, <laughs> and, and Paul got Instructor of the Year. So congratulations, gentlemen. time since I qualified for anything young. Well, and that was the, <laughs> that was the joke with, 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 uh, with George last year with the 40 under 40 from CI. So, you know. That was his last, last chance to get on, get on something like that. I tried to get in this the – This was pretty the, much uh, my last chance. Yeah. Um, what was it? The, uh, the Adele uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, but they didn't – they said he just wasn't quite old enough <laughs> yet. So. Not quite. Not quite. Not quite. George was there with, with Edison when he – you know, never mind. Anyway, it's a bad joke. Uh, all right. Speaking of Infocom, um, let's see if I can bring this up here without without crashing the entire system. Uh, our uh, our beloved uh, leader of Infocom, Mr. Uh, Dave Labuskus, uh, took pen and paper, probably not so pen and paper, but but sat down and, and wrote a blog this week. The final countdown to Infocom. Just for the record, we're recording this on May 29th. Two weeks from right now, there's a number of you who will be heading out and uh, enjoying the education the first couple of days before Infocom starts, which is uh, which is actually uh, June 17th is the start of the show, a few days beforehand. I know there's education going on. Uh, he starts talking about a couple of things, um, talks about uh, the education and this, that, and the other, uh, suggests that you download the app, but I would absolutely uh, agree with that. Uh, George and I went to ISE this year in, in Amsterdam, and, and George, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think both of us really, really enjoyed that app. Uh, it helped us out a lot. So, Indeed. Uh, but something that, that he goes on to at the end of the article, uh, he goes on to talk about <clears throat> people, quote unquote, directly soliciting uh, Infocom attendees. Um, and what he's talking about is there, there are other events that, goes, that, that are going on in Orlando a few days before the show floor starts, right? So let, let's be specific here with this. Before the show floor opens, not before Infocom, the event happens, right? Because Infocom has education, like we mentioned. And it's, it's kind of akin to back in the, in the 70s and the 80s, um, what was going on in business is, is every time that McDonald's would open up a, a, a restaurant, 90% of the time, a Burger King or another competing fast food restaurant would open, you know, at the adjacent corner because, you know, what the heck? It's, there's a McDonald's there, so what, what, we'll, we'll do the same thing. And so there are some other events going on. I get it. It, it makes sense. It really hasn't been an issue up until apparently this year. And this year, there's, there's some interesting things going on. Apparently, some folks are offering shuttle services from around the Orange County Convention Center. Now, that's, that's a little bit more... more uh, more, hey, we know you're going to Infocom. Why don't you come over here instead? So that, that's kind of a little, a little odd. Uh, George, we're going to start with you on this. How big of a deal is it uh, for these, these individual shows that you know, are in conjunction but are also trying to, to lure people away from the, the big show? Well, I think you're dangerous in the word conjunction because if they're not 
No, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, actually, not in conjunction you know at I mean? the same but, time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in the same time, having uh, in, in the same time frame. I'm of a mixed bag of it. If I was a startup, you know, uh, trade show, I'd probably be looking to do something similar. Although, the shuttle buses to and from, or at least two, uh, seems a little bit egregious to me. <laughs> at any point, um, you know, I know Realcom is around Infocom almost every year, especially in Vegas. Uh, and they seem to be in the same building almost at the same time, and it's very easy to go in between them. I, I don't know. I think it is really something that they have to be a little bit more sophisticated about, if if anything. They're going to be there, but that seems a little a little over the top to me to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Paul, from your st- standpoint, as somebody who's who's teaching at, at some of these events, um, you know, is there anything that info or what can Infocom do to? Not stop this, but maybe you know um, curtail it a little bit. I best I, get, I, I don't know if there's anything they can do. I mean, they can talk out about members and and schedule against. I know there have been things that have happened around Infocom that have been, you know, a an issue for for me that I would have liked to attend them, but there are Infocom things going on, and I have obligations to that. So. And it's not just trade shows or loosely affiliated trade shows. So, for instance, the um, Dante Group meets on the Tuesday before Infocom at the um, Rosen Plaza next door and and have always done that, um, done at the hotel adjacent to the convention center because their people are in town. Um, Tamburg used to have their... Uh, their um, dealer meetings uh, immediately before Infocom, so people would come in early since they were traveling anyway. Um, so there's a lot of that sort of thing. Um, setting up a, a another show floor um, is is a, a little odd. I think UB Tech has some level. I don't know. Does UB Tech have an association with Infocom at some point? Mm-hmm. I know we're exhibiting there, and I know Extron's exhibiting there. So maybe they're not affiliated with with Infocom. They used to, like years ago. It used to be called was it Educos or Educom. Uh, back when I was a tech manager, uh, it was something that I would do. I would I would go to. Kind of, it was a almost, almost like a two for one ticket deal, mm-hmm. right? Where from the the education side of me would go and go to those those conventions and, and go to those um, uh, those sessions, and then you also had the, the trade show floor. But I don't believe they have it any. There's not an affiliation anymore. And there's also the IMCIA, which does seem to be associated with Infocom because they were able to comp me. Infocom was able to comp me into the IMCIA education tracks. So, so they must have some some affiliation that's going on with that meeting in Infocom at the same time. So, but. I haven't seen I haven't seen anybody offering me free rides anyplace yet. But want a ride? Yeah, <laughs> don't take it. Don't take it. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, uh, Paul made mention of, of attendees. Is there what can attendees do? I mean, is it one of these things where, you know, what you're you're in Orlando, you know, you might as well see as much as you can, or hey, I'm a member of Infocom. I, I, this is this is where I want to support. You know, it, it's interesting, you know, speaking about from the attendee aspect because, um, you know, I remember not so many years ago, since you still refer to me as young, when I did start going to uh, the Infocom shows and before I was as involved with Infocom as I am now, um, you know, the Realcom, the Educom, the naive person in me, I thought they were all a part of the show, right? Because there was no education to say otherwise, especially when, like, Realcom was in the same building, you know, going on at the same time. To me, oh, it's just another section of Infocom, right, which is not the case, and I know that now. Um, so from an attendee standpoint, that's that's kind of complex because, you know, there could be that confusion there, and it gets really dangerous, I think, when you start talking about uh, people providing free shuttles and whatnot, you know, because some people yeah. just won't know the difference, you know, they really won't. Well, Tom, from, from that standpoint, is there, what can Infocom do for, for the education standpoint then? Well, I, I, you know, there's a lot of important issues here, and I, I've got to put my former board member, past president hat on and speak about the, you know, what the core issue is. Um, to, to your question, Infocom has to do a good job of being attractive and keeping people at the convention center. And they do a lot of things to 
to do that. They've got good marketing programs, education, blah, 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 blah. They want to keep us there because the revenue stream here are exhibitors. And exhibitors are, are who Infocom has to support. They're spending a lot of money. It's 80% of the association's budget that funds all the things that the association does. So it's a huge, huge deal. The exhibit agreements say you have some rights as an exhibitor. And one of the rights you have is that Infocom needs to keep people from what's the polite word scabbing on to the event. So there's a difference between co-location. So we co-located co with Realcom for a couple years, which means your, your pass to Infocom gets you into Realcom, your pass to Realcom gets you into Infocom, and that's something the two associations and show operators work out. So that's a different thing, and that benefits exhibitors um, as well because they get new traffic, and you just get the added hype of doing all of this. But when you have, um, and I'll just say it's typically a manufacturer, a new manufacturer that doesn't want to spend the money to exhibit or doesn't feel they can afford to exhibit or are not ready to exhibit, and they want to set up in a suite off-site somewhere and pull people off the exhibit floor, well, that's detrimental to the show, and Infocom wants to um, you know, negate that. And one of the ways they do that is by contracting with the hotels. For instance, a non-exhibitor can't rent a suite at the hotel across the street, which is a, a show hotel, and, and throw a party. Um, they have to be an exhibitor in order to have access to those those hotels. So it's a it's a big deal from from the association standpoint. And I think Dave is and I like his 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 touch. Dave is the master of the light touch. Um, but the fact of the matter is, there's probably going to be somebody standing in front of the convention center making sure those buses. Um, don't go someplace they're not supposed to go. Yeah. And they'll be working closely with the convention center, I suspect, to protect the bus routes. Well, and that, so it's a big deal. Well, and that's the other thing is, is I, I didn't realize, I, I guess I did realize this because, you know, we're, we're, we're blessed every year. We're, we're a media sponsor of, of Infocom. And um, we get, you know, part of the, the package deal that we have is we get a booth, right? And, mm -hmm. and not for nothing. It's, it's a, it, this year it's a 20 by 20 booth. It's a great, you know, great, booth a uh, pretty cool location but and we've spent some uh, a fair amount of money uh putting together a booth mm -hmm. it's not Harmon's booth right it's not um uh crestron's booth or samsung's booth or microsoft's booth by any stretch of the imagination so you're i didn't even think about the the fact that that infocom has to protect the people that are you know spending money honestly and to, to exhibit there so is there a reason they put you guys next to the drone pavilion um george because we drone on uh, thank you. Thank you very much. But I'm bump. Yeah. All week. But you know, there. But think about you know, you get off the airplane at the airport and you walk down by baggage claim and there's some guy holding a sign underneath his coat, offering to give you a ride. It's the same problem. You know, the airport needs to control access to transportation, mm. and part of it is because it's a part of the revenue stream for the airport. The the, the cab companies pay a licensing fee to pick up and drop off at the airport and. And, and limo drivers don't, so they can't solicit rides. It's, it's a similar problem. You have to control the environment that is indeed your revenue stream, but you also can control the quality of the product. Hmm. That's, a, that's, a good, that's a good analogy. I didn't even think about that. Um, uh, well, that's seven years on the board. I got a lot of <laughs> trivial knowledge about this sort of thing. Well, it's not trivial. It's, it's, it's a, good, it's a yeah. good perspective, so I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, speaking of, of Infocom, and, and oddly enough, it's it's a similar uh, a title of a, of, a, of the article. Uh, our buddy Kelly Perkins uh, and uh, and her uh, her coworker Ashton McGinnis. Uh, if you've ever watched this program, yes, that is uh, somewhat relation to our buddy Brock McGinnis. Um, they uh, sat down with AV Network and put together a um, well a countdown to Infocom, and it was a, it was a checklist of things to, to keep an eye on for. It, it kind of actually kind of works uh, with the AV hashtag for this week, which is uh, Infocom advice. Uh, so, Tom, well, you spent seven years on the board. We'll start with you. Uh, this is not your first rodeo. So if you're uh, talking to either, I don't know, a first-time attendee or somebody who's been there for one or two times, what is your, your Infocom advice? Well, I, I like a lot of the advice that Kelly gave. My first Infocom was in 1991, and it only took about 45 minutes to walk the entire show floor um, in, I think it was New Orleans. So, yeah, there's a lot to be said about getting on the elbow of somebody and following them around and learning the ropes, and I think that was very valuable for me. 
um, growing up in the business to, to walk around with some smart people and find out what they do because I was also that annoying guy for interview that I've worked a booth who walks in and thinks that he's important. And, you know, you get a lot more out of the show when you go into the booth and, and know what questions to ask and how to listen to the answers and understand why they're there. They're not there to solve your technical problem from your install two weeks ago. Um, and they're going to look at you and they're going to kind of usher you out of the booth because that's not what they want to be talking about in front of um, a thousand prospects. So. I think understanding the, the etiquette of the show is very important for newbies, and walking around with a veteran is a great way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeremy, from, from your perspective, what's, uh, what's one or two things that you could give uh, people advice on, on uh, tackling the show? Uh, you know, Kelly hit it really well in one of her first points, which was wear comfortable shoes. <laughs> that is the one thing I will stress to everyone. Uh, I made the mistake last year, even being a veteran of going to Infocom for many years now, um, that uh, I did, I broke in some new shoes a couple of weeks prior, and they were not broken enough. So <laughs> that is that is the biggest piece of advice I can give everybody. But I mean, you know, it's like they say: you could spend what one minute at every booth and not cover, you know, not get through the whole thing anymore with the size of the show. So it's it's go in with a game plan, you know, um, have an idea of what it is you want to get out of the show, what you want to see, uh, who you want to meet with. Uh, you know, I learned early don't schedule too many meetings with reps and everybody else because then you never have time to go see any of the cool new stuff, um, especially some of the stuff that might be at, like, the Innovators Pavilion or things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's it. Go in with a game plan. Uh, wear comfortable shoes is the two best things I can tell anyone. Uh, absolutely. And, yeah, don't don't break them in a month before. Don't make them. Buy, get them for Christmas and start wearing the shoes. Yeah, yeah. And start walking, uh, you know, if you're not a runner or a walker, which I am not, uh, start walking around your neighborhood early because you're going to put the miles on, that's for sure. Yeah, training, training. <laughs> training for your walking, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and Jeremy has has the advantage. Jeremy lives in, in around uh, Bloomington Normal, and he teaches at Columbia College in, in Chicago. Uh, so he has a, a nice walk there uh, from the train station over to Nimrod. Um Mr. Zeely, from your standpoint, uh, what is your uh, your advice for those of us going to the show? Well, Jeremy stole my plan line, so uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I just want to echo that um, the the planning is key. That there are are pre-show guides and various things, and and having a a list either within the app or of booth numbers that you want to see as drop bys, and and scheduling those things that are critical so that you can get them. And, and also scheduling the right resources at that. Um, I'm probably the world's worst person to go to a booth. Um, I, took, uh, I took a director that uh, I had switched over to working for a few years ago, and he was asking if uh, I made it a game to see how few questions I could ask to get from booth reader to CTO of a, of a company. And I said, no, I just you know, have very specific questions. Um, but what happens a lot of times, if you do have very specific questions on, you know, how is this technology going to fit into my plans or other things, not necessarily design, but you need things to work in certain ways. Most of my uh, clients at that point were DOD, and, and there were things that were uh, showstoppers that I had to determine early if this is a product or a, a technology category I can even uh, consider. And um, and it's amazing how often they'll say, oh, no, you need to talk to this person. They'll be at the booth at 4 because those people with those types of answers tend to be very busy. Um, I'm on the other side now. I'm one of those people with those types of answers. I have maybe four to five booth hours in this show. That, that I'm going to be there, that I'm not scheduled to do something else. So, so um, if somebody needs to talk to me about the particular areas of my expertise, then you know it, they're much better off scheduling me than having to circle the Harmon booth 30 times to see if I happen to drop in between meetings. So, so what exactly are those those times that you are available, Mr. Zeely? Oh, those are those are highly classified. Okay. I, I, I would tell you, Tim. Oh, I appreciate. I, I just that. won't say it in front of other people. Okay. There's nobody watching. You There's no. Yeah. It. It's I, 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 George's I tell, mom. 
Yeah, I would tell I would tell anybody on this call, just not the general public. Okay, I got you. I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least ask. So, uh, all right, Mr. Tucker, you are the, the last word on this. What is your advice uh, for hydrate. newbies? Hydrate. Okay. Hydrate. 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 All the guys have said all the other stuff that's absolutely salient. Um, and know that when you're in the booth, especially high traffic booths like AMX, like Crestron, like the rest, they're not going to have all the answers right there. When you talk to the guy showing off the, the gear, they've been looking at that gear, they've been training for that. You have a specific question, there's usually a booth, go find your, <laughs> your sales rep, man, because they're going to have the answer. All too often when I used to do it on the other side for a manufacturer, it was, so what do you know about this? And what do you know about this? And what do you know about this? And you're like, all right, well, there's 10 people behind you who want to hear about what I just have behind me. So you got to move along. I hate to be rude about that, but that's really a necessity. Understand where, who, could, who does what at the show. So understand. Now, when you say hydrate, what you mean hydrate by uh, with what? Because <laughs> you well, can no. interpret that different ways, you know. So. Well, no, everything else that you could probably get your hands on are um, uh, I can't think of the right, right word at the moment. They are uh, they are water removing dehydrators. Uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I guess those would be dehydrators. Yeah, like they that, yeah. don't dehydrate. That's later. Your libation of choice comes later. I'm too well known for drinking beer, so I'm not going to bring that up. Thanks. Beers, and, and I, I was with George a couple weeks ago in New York. He was drinking Hendrix uh, 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 gin, so that was it. That is true. It is summer. Gin is in. And, and, George, I will say one of the reasons they don't try to make me spend more time in the booth is because they think I'm unable to make people move along. And, mm. and my head of marketing said, Paul, your answers have too many words. This way <laughs> to said, egress. I said, if they would ask the right questions, I wouldn't need so many words. Well, you know, you know the old uh, Barnum when he had the, the 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 Museum of Oddities in the 1800s. There was a big sign near the back of it that said, "This way to the egress." Mm -hmm. Most people didn't know what egress meant, and he sent him out. Jeez. The plan: this way to the egress, people. All right. Uh, next up, uh, this comes to us from our buddies over at CE Pro. Uh, so they they've got this list. It is uh, the CE Pro Top 100 Report. In it, they, they outline a couple of things, and, and we're going to tackle this a couple different ways. First of all, it's CE Pro, so it, you're talking more about uh, custom installation companies. And the report says that in, in 2014, so it's a, it's a kind of a recap of 2014, um, the custom install industry, uh, the top 100 highest earning custom install companies, earned $1.8 billion, with a B number, $1.8 billion dollars. Now that's up from 1.74 billion dollars in, in 2013. If you do some math, and I did some quick math because I suck at math, um, it's roughly uh, about 18 million for each hundred for, for all. Of, so 18 million each, right? Not too bad. Not not, not a bad day at the at the shop. Uh, the median install though was about 28,000, which was also which was also um, up, but the installs were down. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that they were doing fewer installs, but the median cost of each install was up. So, you smart people, Paul, we'll start with you, uh, from a, the, the industry in general. Um, and since we look more at pro, but kind of take the idea that a lot of times what happens in, in commercial and, and what happens in residential, a lot of times translates over into the home. The average cost of these installs, the average home install is going up. Uh, first of all, what does that mean for, for Pro? And, and AMX has a number of, of, of home products as well. So what does that mean for, for our industry in general? I have no idea. Okay. Moving um, on. People, people are spending more money. Um, they might be buying 4K TVs, and, and, and that's why it's going up because they're getting that. Um, median is always a, a funny number because that means that half of the installs were less than 28000 and half were more than 28000 as opposed to average, where you take all the money and, and divide it out. So it's, it's, there's this old book called How to Lie with Statistics, and you kind of pick the, uh, pick the type of average that, that matches whatever message you want to, uh, what you want to portray. Um, I don't know if things are getting more expensive, or that I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that the number is that small. Um, You're surprised that the average dollars. number is that small? No, no, that the the total number is okay. 1.8 billion. Um, it it seems 
Um, a third of that's taken up by Best Buy and Magnolia. So it's suspect as whether Best Buy is counting installed numbers in that along with non-installed numbers. Or, you know, is that $648 million of Best Buy? Is that with things purchased with services? Or is that things purchased and services? So, so it, it, it's kind of interesting in, in where things go. Um, I would say that the, the DIY portion of, of high-end home stereo dwarfs that number. I know, I know Harman's number um, for, for consumer electronics is, is bigger than that. So um, it, it, it's kind of an odd number to me just, just on how it's pulled together. Okay. All right. Uh, Mr. Tim Stimson, from your standpoint, where does, that, uh, where does that put the industry? Well, I, th I think I like this article because it is kind of a wake-up call because I, I feel that from the pro-EV side, we're a little bit snobbish in the U.S., and we do not see that a great deal of these um, – consumer home residential installations, you know, a $28,000 median is not a trivial installation. And the average um, AV dealer integrator is going to turn their nose up at a, at, a, at a home installation, a resident installation of any ilk and any size. However, you guys were at ISE, and the rest of the world, pro-AV is pro-AV. If somebody pays you to do it, it's pro-AV. And there's a lot of gray area in the parts and pieces. There's an awful lot of overlap. There's an overlap in skills, there's an overlap in products. While they're very distinctive, you go to Cedia and there's some very distinctive resi products, but there's also a lot of people who exhibit at Infocom. These are some huge numbers. And and you know, speaking, you know, um, you know, Paul, the, the the Best Buy number in here is their Geek Squad number, and the average number in here is forty five hundred dollars. So if the median is twenty eight thousand, the average is forty five hundred half the jobs are greater than 28,000. So think about that for a little bit. It's a pretty significant number and 100 companies are using are a huge chunk of the business. What's the total revenue of the top 100 companies in pro AV? So I think it's just kind of a this is the sort of thing that we've got to wake up to in the US about the changing face of what the industry is and we don't get to define the industry buyers do yeah yeah that, that's opinion. that's well that, no, that's, that's the interesting thing is that that you know we we are a client driven you know, we're, we're all client driven i don't care if you sell cars or you sell projectors you know it's still what the what the end user really wants so uh mr tucker where do you uh where do you see this putting us well i it's a lot of stuff that i was going to say that Tom, Tom actually brought up but one of the things i do get out of it is the rise of security like companies finally getting in on the action. It is, um, my, my thought was, in the years past, a lot of security installers were very, very PO'd at installers of AV because they were losing keypad sales and service sales because they weren't needed if you put in the touch panels or the, the little panels and keypads we had. Well, who's laughing now? They're actually saying that a lot, large portion of their sales are going from security to full automation. I find it a very interesting fact. Does it really mean it's going to take a large chunk yet? I don't know, but it seems to me that they really have learned the lesson and made the push. All right, uh, Jeremy, from from a a pro AV and an and, and installer and integrator standpoint, how do guys like you get involved, or, or should you should you get involved? I I don't know. I mean, I guess we should. It all depends on what uh, the strategy of each company is. You know, um, I, I see a lot of these residential. Um, type places like uh, you know like he was saying about security companies you know they're coming up and doing a lot more of the stuff I see them getting it more and more into the pro EV market so uh, you know uh, why they're doing that I don't necessarily know you know to some respect I, I don't know if that's you know a huge trend nationwide at least I've seen a little bit of it uh, in Illinois where we're starting to see more and more of those low voltage and security guys who are doing those high dollar numbers with the home stuff wanting to get into pro pro side and I, I don't know if that's dangerous or you know how that's going to affect us in the long term, but um, I, there's a whole bunch of different ways to look at it, I guess. I have one thing to add to that, and it's the backbone infrastructure that these 
companies and their providers, whether it's AT&T UVerse or Verizon, are offering in support of that equipment. That's a big game changer to me, that they have an infrastructure, whether it's in the cloud or within the existing framework of your home, that they can sell off of. That's yeah, I mean, they've got the they've got those relationships, right? And they've had those relationships for a lot longer. That's why I think the tide's kind of turning in that respect. So, you know, from a pro AV standpoint, do we have to get on board with some of that? You know, do we have to start moving some of our business that direction? You know, or at least with that idea, not necessarily to that direction. But well, on on that vein, let's uh, let's bring in our next story, which is about uh, a new uh, a new op. I guess it's a new operating system. Is that the best way to put this, George? Uh, Brillo, uh, no, not the soap pad. Uh, Brillo is your yeah new operating system for your home. This comes to us by uh, by way of Gizmodo. Uh, at Google I/O this week, Google announced their their newest, latest, greatest thing. Um, it's it's a lightweight uh, operating system. Uh, you can put it on something as low, far down as 32 megabytes of RAM. It's pretty much all it needs. It it it'll run better on 64. Uh, it's based off of Android. This has been around since about February. Um, Google has a has a uh, an archive that they let you kind of look in on it's uh, it's their uh, their code repository and and so that's why people have said that it, this has been around since about February uh, but here's what it is it's it's your new operating system for your home or at least Google hopes it is um, it's uh, it, the the article in, in Gizmodo says imagine if you would a, a home that's run off of Android uh, with a couple of uh, of Chrome books uh, to augment so, Mr. Tucker, uh, based off what we were just talking about with, with home automation and everything, mm-hmm. um, you know, what does this mean, basically, honestly, for the, for the home market? We'll see. I mean, Nest was not such a good deal, and the article actually takes pains to point out uh, how it may yeah, very well about, be a response. The, the thermostat Nest was great. The, the yes, smoke detector, not so much. Yeah, when they expanded out <laughs> into the smoke detectors and some other things that they were talking about, even their own people were very upset. Uh, this is what my take was. It's an Android um, ecosystem, finally. Something they can actually go against Apple and some others with, and what we just mentioned with the other companies. Um, and it's got that very, they're calling it IoT, but you've got a low power, low bandwidth, easily replaceable and easily upgradable, read cheap device that can just be implemented. I think they're being a little bit simplistic when they say just a couple of Chromebooks. That's not really an interface of choice, and we know that. It's either a smartphone or an actual dedicated uh, controller. Uh, but there they have some possibilities, I think, of getting in on, say, the Control 4s and, and companies like that who are trying to do the pro AV side. But this is, again, a network, services, buildable, and uh, a recurring revenue system. I didn't think about it's, that. So so as, as Control 4 and Savant work more, work more into the pro side, you're, th- you're thinking that maybe Google's seeing that as an opening to get into home? Yeah, and well, look, they're, they're going to provide the operating system for free to system makers. Uh, look, uh, Apple just said they qualified Broadcom to put the stuff on their chips, their home kit stuff on their chips. This is what they're looking for. Again, the, the infrastructure, the network, the backbone to build off of that to sell product. Yeah. Jeremy, from your standpoint, what is, uh, why do you think uh, Google's doing this? Uh, is this just another revenue stream, or is it something else? Oh, who knows with Google? <laughs> you know, they they do some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, I I don't know if I see it as a revenue stream. I mean, well, everything's done as a revenue stream, right? I mean, everybody wants to make make money, especially companies like Google. But that's pretty cheap, if you ask me. You know, at least for the for the initial you know piece that we're talking about. But like you said, getting into that backbone and everything else that's going to come along with that. You know, that's what's going to that's what's going to be the big generator for them, and it's. You know, if they can get that market share, they're just going to take a, you know, bigger hold on everything. You know, it's just one more thing that you know Google will have their hands into. Yeah, uh, Mr. Simpson, from your standpoint, why do you think uh, Google is doing this? Uh, one platform to rule them all. I mean, it's a very simple strategy. Um, let's think about it. We've been in the business, a lot of us, for quite a few time, a long time. Uh, maybe not Jeremy, you're just a kid, right? But. <laughs> Oh, hey now, come we, on. <laughs> it used to be that pro AV drove the consumer market, and we had to, you know, manufacturers had to solve it in the pro environment and moved it into the consumer environment. It's not that way anymore. Um, the money is in the consumer environment. If you solve the consumer problem, pro AV has to follow. 
uh, bring your own device is a perfect example. You know, bring your own device. It worked at home. Why isn't it working in my office? And it changed the way that we have to do business in the installed environment. Okay? This is just, we need to pay attention to this because this is telling us pro-AV snobs how the world is going to function. It will not be on this Google product. It'll be on something like it. It's, it's the future. Get used to it. There's going to be a universal platform. It's going to be iRobot. Everything talks to everything else, and we're going to have to play in that paradigm. You know, heads up. I said again, heads up. This is what the future looks like. Let go of some of your past. Okay, so you know, when, when, go ahead, when Google gets a hold of that, as you say, when Google gets a hold of something like that, it seems like it, it speeds the process that you're talking about, right? So that yeah. stuff's going to come a lot faster than, than um, you know, we most people, especially people in the pro AV world, maybe used to. So it's it's buckle up and get ready type of thing, you know. Right. Right. If this is the pla- if this is the software that homes are going to run on, and there's way more homes than businesses, every manufacturer wants to have that product, and people are going to expect it to work in the office just like it worked at home. Just like your Apple TV does, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me let me see if I can wrap my brain around this, Tom, and, and, and correct me if I'm not understanding you correctly. So you're saying that, number one, you don't think it's going to be this specific one, that, that, that Google's going to put this out there, it'll develop, uh, but it may not be this specific one, but it's going to be something like it. Does that mean that, that all of these disparate manufacturers are going to have to start talking to each other or talking to one ultimate winning OS? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the ultimate open source. Okay. And, I, and I'm speaking above my pay grade, but yeah. yes. All the manufacturers won't have to work with each other. They're going to adapt to what Google tells them because progress comes when there's a dictator. And if Google, or somebody else, if Google or somebody else dictates that this is the problem, this is the one platform to rule them all, then all the manufacturers will have to come on board. Do you want to get $100,000, $100,000 manufacturers to agree or the largest corporation in the world to make a decision? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think about and that. And we've all given up on, you know, Windows platforms, so. All right, no, that makes sense. All right, uh, Mr. Zeely, do you want to uh, chime in on this one? Yeah, yeah, in a Google-driven world, the trains will run on time, and, you know, <laughs> a, a few hundred thousand lives that need to be sacrificed in order to the greater <laughs> glory of Google, that's that, that's. <laughs> um, so, so get ready for this hangout to suddenly and mysteriously end because, you know, at, at, at some point Google's reasoning for things is not to provide an operating system or, or a software, it's to gain access to all of your information so that um, they can appropriately sell that to people and, and place ads in front of you. Um, and, and that is their motivation for trying to get this into more devices so they can get more types of information so they can know things like when you're home and when you're not home and you know some, some of the guesses they can make um, within these devices are, are scary. When I got my new iPhone a year and a half ago, about a week after I got it, you know, in the morning I happened to glance at it and said, if you leave for work now, you'll be there in seven minutes. And I'm like, you know, I don't like the fact that my phone is keeping track of and making assumptions that, you know, I'm doing this through location services and, and you know, what else are they using those hours when I'm at work type knowledges for. And, and, and that's really why Google is in this. Um, whether or not Android is the right type of platform for this as opposed to a, a more generic, more freeform Linux. Who knows? It really depends on the development tools that they, uh, that they end up offering to, to the manufacturers. Um, we have had you know, our struggles with using Android um, within products because there are things that aren't designed into Android. For instance, the concept of wired Ethernet um, and uh, various things. Uh, there are good things where um, the applications run in um, in uh, 
separate shells and are, are completely standalone and therefore therefore you can compartmentalize. You don't have the Windows issues of DLLs and shared libraries and things. So, so there are good and bad to, to any operating system. Um, I would say that this probably, to not guide your agenda, fits in very well with the concept of your, your $9 PC story um, where there is a, a glut of low-powered computing. You know, Raspberry Pi just dropped its price from $35 to $25. Yep. Um, you know, there's this, this $9 PC come out. There, there's a lot of low-power embeddable processing that you can put brains into things where you might have used a microcontroller before um, to use uh, the, the equivalent of Arduino where you are now in that price point which was very specific not general purpose and you had to write things like Ethernet drivers and everything else for it to, to a more generalized operating system that takes care of all that interface housekeeping for you. Ultimately what will happen and, and goes within this industry is you know it's it's a, a VHS beta um, display port HDMI type of thing where uh, there will be a lot of pseudo standards and ultimately a de facto standard will will emerge. It's not these standards are not coming down anymore where the ITU and IEEE spend huge amounts of time. They're they're a manufacturer or a manufacturer group, you know, the AVB Alliance, the HD Base T Alliance, whatever the Dante people call themselves, who are who are putting together something slightly short of uh, of uh, collusion in order to to drive an interoperability standard. Um, and, and it's been going on throughout technology. You look at something like the Adobe PDF. You know, came out, went to the top of the market, they held the intellectual property, you paid a lot of money for your PDF writer, and at, at some points you even paid for the PDF readers, and um, you know, that became a de facto standard. And, and it's going to be the same way with this automation stuff, and you know, there's going to be a couple of different layers of standards. There's going to be a how do they communicate with each other. Most people don't want to dig up their their walls and put Ethernet in, so there'll be some sort of wireless. And you know whether that's going to be a Wi-Fi or a Zigbee or a, or a power line or something else will will move forward. And then there will be the how are they hubbed together that that has to to deal with it because you don't necessarily want all these things exposed to the world and then and then what's that interface that goes out to the world and there's there's going to be a huge amount of upheaval and and opportunity and I think there will be you know fortunes made and lost here in the next two or three years while while the market figures this out um, and but, and but, Google is throwing its hat in the ring as one of the players who wants wants to see if they can. It's scratching lottery tickets at some point. Go ahead, Tom. Well, it is, it is, but it's it's who can envision the most likely future. That's who wins. So they they are throwing their hat in the ring, and and you're not yeah. paranoid. They are spying on you, <laughs> right? Well, I didn't so, think I was paranoid. I just didn't want to say it on Google Hangouts because they'll hang us up. <laughs> but the fact is, this doesn't have to work. It just has to get attention, and the idea has to work. Who knows how all these things are going to talk to each other? Um, I won't pretend to understand any of that. I just know that this helps me picture a world where I don't have to deal with AT&T to have home security because those guys are spying on me, right? So, you know, one platform, you know, that has some appeal, and all of a sudden, I'm going to embrace a little bit more this world. And if they will drop the Android um, lexicon, I'll be much. I'll pay a lot more attention as I watch from my Apple device. You know, I have I have a thought listening to to Paul, and, and what I'm seeing possibly is not an end of all things, but maybe there is a standard common backbone, but it becomes a product inside of the devices that hang off of that network. And that's where your specialization and your feature-rich items come from. 
not everybody's going to be able to afford the the one widget box that hangs off that network wirelessly to do X, Y, and Z, but it, some can do a version of it, but not the full-blown. Therein may be our future, where I know lots of manufacturers are already looking into that. Don't worry about the infrastructure code for a distributed or centralized processor. We hang the boxes off, and people put our stuff in theirs, or vice versa. Yeah. We are getting there. Yeah, and, and standards are a twin-edged sword, because, because standards help you sell the product and break into the market, but standards also lower the stickiness of the consumer being locked into your product set. Um, I mean, if you look within the consumer world on, on things like um, the control over HDMI, um, it's a standard within HDMI, but the only common controls are, are power and mute, um, pretty much. And other than that, you're kind of at the mercy of each manufacturer defining what their channels are. It's kind of like the IR remotes. Would it have ever been a problem for all the TV manufacturers to get together and say, hey, we're going to use the same IR code so anybody can use any remote? Um, but they didn't. So I have all the LG TVs, so I can go from room to room and not have to worry about the fact I lost a remote or just use the remote in my pocket. So, so it, it's going to be an interesting dynamic here where at one point you're going to want to standardize enough to get those consumers, but you, you also have to hold on to the stickiness. All right, hang on to that because this actually goes really nicely into our, our last story here uh, from Commercial Integrator. Uh, important GSA changes may impact security integrators. Actually, it may impact all of y'all uh, just because of, of some other stuff that they're doing. So there's a lot of acronyms here. I'm going to spill these out. Uh, the GSA, the General Services Administration, uh, sent out an RFI for feedback on changes to ICAM. If you don't know what that means, Identity uh, Credentials and Access Management. Uh, basically, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that that separate products purchased from separate sources work together, quote unquote, seamlessly. It's basically what we're talking about uh, with with the home automation and just automation in general with the CEC and everything else. Uh, Paul, we're going to start with you because you guys uh, have a number of products that are GITC uh, certified. So is this something that, yes, the, the GSA is doing currently with, with security, you know, what's, um, you know, is it possible that the next step would be to make sure that, you know, all the AV products kind of play nicely together? They should. I think it, I would think it would be a, a wonderful thing for the world if, if things played nicer together. Um, that's actually what JIDIC is really for. It's, it's for interoperability and was initially to make sure that all the different DOD phone systems at different bases played together nicely so that they didn't have to worry about there's going to be some sort of weird interface that happens when I call from one base to another because you've got a an Avaya system and you have a, a um, AT&T system so everything's going to go together and then it moved into video conferencing and and now very lightly within AV um, they have the video distribution, and I only say very lightly within AV because that was primarily written for streaming video, and and um, there are some small annexes to it that uh, that the people in the AV industry have been able to to get some foothold in. Um, but I think I think interoperability is is a good thing. And it's, you know, the government, GSA, under Schedule 70, which I think is about a, you know, about a $40 billion a year purchasing vehicle, um, they can um, uh, enforce that things have to, to meet certain standards to, to, be, on that, to be on that schedule. Um, I see no reason why, why they couldn't enforce that for, for AV. Um, Unfortunately, my dealings with the government as I try to get AV standards has been that um, they don't want to think about it because they can't even imagine where they'd start. Um, I offered to write the standards if they would adopt them, and you know, I got kind of a "Don't call us, we'll call you." But um, there's, you know, there's big issues, and and. Standards are a nice thing to have, 
because it makes your terms and conditions with your customers easier. So, so if I have to justify everything within my design and the way it works based on the I said so versus being able to say I met IEEE, you know, blah, 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 blah standard, if you don't like that standard, that's a place to negotiate from. But for the most part, people will assume that somebody actually thought about the standard and worked through. So I'm very much for standards and regulations because because it levels the playing field for those integrators with integrity who are going to do it the right way anyway um, and, and protects the consumer, who in this case is the government. Well, Tom, is it, it, to, to Paul's point, is it maybe, is this how we get you know, interoperability, is, is to get something like Schedule 70 behind it and say, okay, you know what, um, as the government, you know, let's, let's make this happen. Well, you know, and I don't know enough about whether or not this particular thing is misguided or not. If that interoperability, you know, it's a great mandate, but does it does it exist? And if it does, then great. Sure, the government can get behind it, and that can drive change. Uh, it takes a big user to get the industry to start focusing on what really matters. And 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 as a taxpayer, I'm going, well, this sounds really good because it sounds like we could buy things a whole hell of a lot smarter. Um, and Quit wasting so much money because I've I've seen some of the most logical projects, um, in my experience, coming out of GSA specs. So, this might be a really good thing, and it might make it better for the dealers that sell um, GSA, particularly on box sales, to have a better playing field. So, uh, but I, again, is it is this the right way to get the industry to do things smartly? I don't know. Okay, well, Jeremy, to, to, let's 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 try to answer Tom's question. What's what's the best way to get the industry to do things smartly? Oh well, I mean, you're talking about the government, so how much uh, how much <laughs> intelligence yes. is going to be there when it comes to purchasing things smartly? Right? I mean, we, like he said, we've all seen these specs where they're just completely crazy. They do some of the weirdest things. So, you know, I, I don't know anything that's going to say uh, let's standardize, let's do interoperability. You know, I'm with everyone else. I, I agree with all them. If we do it, it's just going to be a benefit all around for everybody. And if the government's going to do it, and there's such a large consumer of all this stuff, uh, I think it's going to push uh, push that need uh, downstream to the rest of us, which is a good thing. So, all right, Mr. Tucker, what's uh, let's see, you have the last word on this one. Where do we uh, where do we like this or not? Well, as uh, was mentioned by Paul earlier, a twin-edged sword. Um, for the government, for such usage where they're buying a lot of product for a lot of facilities, interoper interoperability, easy for me to say, is essential. Uh, as we discussed before about it being maybe just a um, AMX on the inside kind of box that hangs off of an open standard, that's great. But I do have the fear that it will diminish uh, innovation. Once you have a set place, a set network in and it's making lots of money and it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous, what's the urge to make something new and better? You can do it with your individual device, but if our benevolent overlords say no, then where do you go? And and that's part of what they're going after Google for and, and Microsoft for years with their operating system and their sort of ways of integrating, say, Word or uh, Internet Explorer into the operating system, and you couldn't remove it, right? There was sort of stifling what one could get and how one could improve how they did their web browsing. Yeah, but it's even, even, okay, so even in, in, in that same vein, because it was like late 90s, early 2000s, where they started going after Microsoft for that, you had the rise of, of Google. You had the rise of, of Firefox and Chrome, and, and, you know, you had innovation even in that environment. So, you know, there's always going to be a place for, for innovation, regardless of who's, who's at the top of the chain. So... I don't know. Uh, true enough, but again, that sea change takes much longer. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Maybe that's a benefit to an industry and to an economy. Or maybe not. Well, it's a, it's a benefit for stability, right? It's not a, it's not a benefit for quickly mm. moving innovation. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, that gentleman right there is uh, actually we'll start we'll we'll end with George because George always reminds me of what shows we have coming up that I forgot. Mr. Jeremy Caldera from ZDI, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, and congratulations for for the Young AV uh, Award that you'll be getting at the week of Infocom. Thank you again. I look forward to seeing you at the show. Absolutely. Uh, where can people find you or find uh, find ZDI? 
zdiinc.net would be our website, and then uh, my Twitter is at Jeremy underscore Caldera. All right, thank you, sir. Also, also with us is my buddy, uh, Mr. Paul Zeely from AMX by Harmon, another award winner, uh, this one for training. So thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, AMX.com, if you uh, go to Infocom Show, I, um, you can filter on me. I've got um, somewhere around 38 hours worth of uh, Infocom training I'm doing this year. Um, a lot of them are sold out, especially the more advanced classes are are sold out. But um, I think there are a few seats, and they were talking about moving the advanced classes to a bigger room um, to to accommodate more people. That's because so, you're a rock star, dude. So they may be opening up. Because the industry is hungry for education that doesn't say, it's nice. Imagine you could push video across a network. <laughs> and and I don't start at that level. I have a you know assumption that if 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 people are looking up to come to one of my classes, that uh, that's not what they're looking for, or else they're in the wrong place and leaving about the first fifteen minutes anyway. Well, Paul, I'll say that uh, as someone who's taken one of your classes, uh, <laughs> you are a, a great instructor, and I've learned a lot from that. So uh, there's oh, something to be said about that. So yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, I'm all right, Mr. Ch Mr. Tom Stimson from the Stimson Group. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. You can find me at trstimson.com. And for the people at Infocom who aren't smart enough to take Paul's classes, I've got two business roundtable sessions, which will be full of business owners, salespeople, and other people who don't know what they're doing. And we'll try and figure out why we can't blame the customer for lack of success in our business. I hope to see you there. Very nice. Also, um, I do this, so I'll suggest that you do the same. I, uh, Tom has a very nice uh, newsletter that he puts out that I'm, uh, I'm a subscriber to, so you probably do the same. So good stuff, uh, always. I would say we've used a number of his stories and articles on, on this very program. Uh, Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, also, Mr. George Tucker uh, from World Stage and also uh, from here. So thank you, sir. Thank you. It's been good to be on with these guys. I've had a fun, a lot of fun listening. Yeah. Uh, folks can find me at Tucker Twos on almost any social platform out there. Uh, commercial Integrator and a few other magazines. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to say some things, and George is going to correct me when I get them wrong. Um, <laughs> don't follow me. Uh, maybe follow me once. I don't know. Right now, what am I yakking about today? Um, the bears still. So, uh, but go by the website if you would, please, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. Uh, we have a brand new uh, Live Life that came down the pipe, uh, a new EdTech, a new State of Control, very interesting State of Control. Uh, not the other ones aren't, but we had uh, the heads of training for both AMX and Crestron talking about certification uh, and programming training. It was a very, very good show. Um, but, uh, yeah, check that out if you would. Um, we've got a lot of stuff coming up on online for Infocom. The guys are working on a brand new website. We have a number of programs happening. Uh, we have our 200th episode of AV Week, which will be happening live uh, on the show floor uh, from 2 to 4 uh, at, uh, during our booth, at our booth at 6667 is our booth. So come by, say hi, register for a pair of, uh, of Bluetooth uh, Momentum uh, Sennheiser uh, headphones. And we have an uh, AV Crosstalk coming down the pipe at Infocom. <clears throat> I'm going to say some names that are uh, controversial and, and, um, and uh, uh, thought-provoking. We have one Mr. Mark Coxon versus one Mr. Uh, Joshua Shrago uh, debating each other, and one Mr. Danto is moderating the panel. <clears throat> so you have Danto, Coxon, and Shrago all on an AV crosstalk. I have no idea. Ooh, get out alive. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good question for all three of them, actually. But what are they debating? Oh, that is that is what we call a tease, Paul. That's called a tease. Oh, uh, yes. that and more right after this. That and more right after I this. I want to know. <laughs> so uh, if you're around on Tuesday of the, of the show, come by uh, our, our room. Uh, same room we're having the tweet up in uh, W223A, and we'll, we'll be doing that there. Um, okay. So, yes, sir. 
I got, I got uh, two things for you real quick. Yes. Uh, one is to remember the Daily Doe at Daily D-O-O-H. Mm-hmm. They're doing lots of Infocom coverage in association with us. And they're AKA TV about all the metrics and stuff. So there's some good stuff on there as well. That's a cool site. Uh, I, 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 it uh, is a cool site. Yeah, I um, I was turned on to it by by Adrian and and, and Adrian's the guy that runs Daily Do and uh, what was it last year around around this time around Infocom was the first time I was made aware of it. It's really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, you can see all the different tweeters and uh, the hashtags and stuff like that. So yeah, it's cool a good stuff. way of seeing what's trending amongst all the attendees as well. So yeah. Oh, that's so the other thing is the AV selfie. Uh, don't forget to start taking those June first. Uh, I just heard the first cut of Phil Cordell's uh, track for the AV selfie yesterday. Uh, it's a medley. Uh, it's very upbeat. So uh, take your selfies and, and get on the on the video. Uh, the, we'll be putting that debuting that the Friday of Infocom. So all kinds of wonderful stuff. Uh, Infocom's just uh, about two two and a half weeks away. So get your stuff. So all right. Uh, thanks guys so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This has been AV Week. Thank <laughs> you.